Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thanks for tuning in. Hope uh, your new year is well on its way and you're having a great time. I am not yet. Uh, We're getting over this whole COVID thing. And uh, I got to tell you, it sucks. My first time dealing with it. And man, it can linger. Anyway, not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is I'm going to ask you something. Did you know we spend an average of just 47 seconds on any screen before we shift our attention? Did you know it takes 25 minutes to bring our attention back to a task after an interruption? And the data shows we interrupt ourselves more than we get interrupted by other people. If you want to be successful at anything, you have to be able to focus. You have to be able to manage your attention. So we did what we always do, and we're going straight to the expert. In fact, our guest this week has been called the definitive expert on distraction and multitasking by Cal Newport, who many of you also are aware of. Our guest this week is Dr. Gloria Mark, and we are talking about her brand new book called Attention Span, a groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness, and productivity. It is currently the number one new release on Amazon in time management, and I think you will learn why in this episode. 
Gloria Mark is Chancellor's Professor of Informatics at the University of California, Irvine. She received her PhD from Columbia University in Psychology and studies the impact of digital media on people's lives. Specifically, she focuses on multitasking, interruptions, and mood as it relates to digital devices. She's published over 200 articles on this subject and has presented her work all over the world and has been featured in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, NPR, CNN, The Guardian, Dak Shepard, Dave Asprey. Keep going. This episode is a perfect mix of research and reality. Can't wait to bring it to you. And for those people in your life who struggle with focus, who struggle with getting things done, just send them a little text and tell them to check out the episode. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit that follow button on your podcast app, wherever you listen. And I hope you use this information to accomplish everything you want in 2023 and beyond. Let's get into it. Our episode with Dr. Gloria Mark as we discuss her brand new book, Attention Span, a groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness, and productivity. Enjoy. Gloria, I got to present a scenario to you that's been happening to me very often. And then you get to tell us why that happens and what we could do about it, which is I'm noticing now after about three years of pandemic work, virtual work, emails, meetings, overload, all of those things, that when I do have quiet, focused time at work, I cannot focus. I'm almost so inundated with things to do that I can't do any of them. And that's when I go to the social media or whatever it might be. Yeah. What's happening in my brain? What's going so, on? So so you're you're explaining a very common experience okay. that people have. So um you know a, a lot of it is conditioning and it turns out in my research that people are just about as likely to interrupt themselves as to be interrupted from something external to them like a notification, phone call. Uh, so we find that when people have been in environments where they've had a lot of these external interruptions, um, they have come to interrupt themselves. We call that self-interruptions. And so it's um, it's really interesting. <clears throat> we We have looked at our data. We've divided our data into external interruptions and self-interruptions. And when people have a period of a lot of external interruptions, and then those stop for whatever reason, people tend to self-interrupt. And so, what what you're doing, you know, in this when you're trying to have quiet, focused time, you're experiencing the repercussions of having been in environments where you've, you know, not not just that day, but for you know years of your life where you've you've had these external interruptions and you know it's it's as though we're determined to have short attention spans mm-hmm. right and we're just determined to do it by you know keep interrupting ourselves and it, it's hard to fight these urges um let me let me just say one other thing is that um people have a limited amount of mental capacity. We call it mental resources. And um, I can I can say a lot more about that maybe in a bit, but 
what you're experiencing is that you've used up some of your precious resources already. And then when it comes time to try to devote yourself to quiet focus time, you don't have so many resources left. And we we actually need resources to also guard against distractions, even to self-regulate, even for to guard against our own self-interruptions. We need some amount of capacity or attentional resources. And sounds like you're pretty low on this when, when you get to that point. How much of it is driven by external stimuli and how much of it is individual? Because I tend to be the kind of person that thinks through every scenario, plans, conversations before they happen, evaluates conversations after they happen, you know, and I think that's a personality type. Does any of your research show how people, based on who they are, leverage uh, these mental resources differently and deal with distraction? Absolutely. So there, there are individual differences. We, we have found these. Uh, there, there is a personality test that's called the Big Five. And you you might be familiar with it. Some of the listeners might be familiar with it. It's the most commonly used personality test. And the idea of this uh, test is that it divides personality into five basic dimensions. And these are openness to experience, uh, to new, you know, being open-minded, being conscientious, uh, being an extrovert or as opposed to being an introvert, uh, being agreeable with others. That means the ability to get along with other people. And the last is neuroticism. And what you're explaining sounds a little bit like neuroticism. Neuroticism. Don't, don't worry. I don't take any offense to that. It's a hundred percent true. <laughs> and, and, uh, but you know, you would, you would really need to take the test to find out to what extent, you really uh, score uh, what your score is on neuroticism. But neuroticism refers, it's a personality trait that refers to the idea that people tend to replay events over and over in their minds. So you had a conversation with someone and then you replay it in your mind and think, oh, I could have said something differently. Or, oh, what if I had said it in this different way? Or, you know, what if I had done something else earlier in the day? That's that's neuroticism. It turns out that people with this personality trait who score high on it tend to have significantly shorter attention spans mm. than, than people who score low on neuroticism. It also turns out that um, there's another individual difference, which has to do with conscientiousness. And in particular, we looked at the role of conscientiousness and email. And it turns out that if you're high on conscientiousness, you tend to check email a lot more. Uh, I, I happen to be high on conscientiousness, and uh, and I do check my email a lot. It's because you know a person who is diligent in their work wants to make sure everything gets done. They want to make sure that no email slips through the cracks. Or if you're if you're waiting on a really important email from, say, your supervisor, you want to make sure you're on top of it. So you're you're a sentry on that inbox. You just keep monitoring it. 
And, you know, we find in our research, and this is done through objective computer logging, that people check email on average about 77 times a day. And we've we've also replicated this with a, a different sample of people. And so uh, conscientious people, they're the ones who check more. Right. Do we self-interrupt because that's often easier than the alternative, which is to focus on the hard work? Well, you're you're right in the sense that uh, when we focus, it's associated with stress, right? We we have to use more mental resources to concentrate to block out distractions, and it is uh, it is a uh, a stressful experience. Um, you know, of course, it's rewarding when when we can focus more. So you're right in the sense that it's just easier on us. It's it involves less cognitive resources to do easy things. And we're, we're humans. It's our, in, in our natures to, to do what's, what's easy. And so you, you mentioned something right there that I think is at the core of it. Do you believe, especially in today's modern environment with all the technology, that we are actually better designed to not focus than to focus? Like, do you think really all of the work you do and all of the things we try to do to become more efficient are at odds with our natural tendencies? No, I, I would not say it's our natural tendency to to not focus. Um, you know, if you if you think back, uh, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, um, people who were hunters and gatherers, so people who were gatherers had to had to scan the environment. They had to scan the environment looking for food, but also keeping on the lookout for predators. So pe- people needed to use their attention. Now, you can think of our attention like a flashlight. In the case of those gatherers, they had, imagine you're opening up that flashlight to scan a, a wide area with light. But you can also narrow that flashlight beam to something very focused. I think it's um, it's natural for us to keep switching that flashlight beam, right? There's sometimes when we need to scan the environment. There's sometimes when we need to be very focused. Um, but I but I believe we're not good at managing that. Uh, that adjustment of that flashlight beam. So we're, we're just not good. And sometimes uh, we tend to stay in this mode of, you know, scanning the environment, keeping that flashlight beam wide, in which case we just open ourselves up to all kinds of distractions, in, including from within ourselves. I like the analogy because I think that what you're defining is what I experience. Like I'll sit down at work or, you know, at my desk and then think about it. And it's like, okay, I know there's email. I know there's Teams chats. I know there's text messages. There's multiple inbox. There's things to do. There's a to-do list. That's the wide scan. And anytime I then say I'm going to hone in, there's almost this internal dialogue that says maybe honing in isn't the best thing. Why do we struggle with that? Because we're we're human, and there <laughs> there's there's a number of reasons uh, why we do. Um, 
let me let me bring up one. So um, we found in so in my research, we found that when people do these easy rote kinds of activities, like going on social media, surfing the web, uh, playing some simple game that doesn't require a lot of thought, people are happiest when they do those kinds of activities. And we are drawn to doing things that make us happy. We, we get these, <clears throat> we get rewards, right? And so, and if you're doing some activity that's putting you in a good mood, it's very hard to pull away and it's hard to, to go back and do something that's effortful and that's maybe a little bit stressful and, and maybe something where you don't see an immediate reward in sight. So now we get into almost the, yeah, the reward seeking behavior versus I think we can balance the impact. We know that focus work leads to better results in the long run. So are we constantly having this internal battle of, do I seek immediate reward? And is it true that that is simply neurotransmitter kind of hits? Are we always battling against the short term and the long term? I think uh, to some extent we are, but it has to do with our the goals, keeping our goals in mind. Um, when you have a, your attention is directed to what your goal is. And so if your goal is to finish that report, right, your attention is going to be directed to that report. As soon as our goals slip, then we go off on this, you know, wandering path where we're all over the place on, on the internet and checking our phones. But it's really important to keep that goal in mind. Now, goals, goals are in a lot of ways abstract, you know, to make a goal more concrete is uh, what can help you do that is to visualize that goal. So when I, when I was writing my book, I would have a goal. I'm going to finish this book chapter by the end of today. And what helped me visualize that was to actually see myself saving it and putting it in the folder of finished chapters, right? That helped make my goal much more concrete than just thinking about this abstract idea. Yeah, I'm going to finish that chapter. So if you can make your goals as concrete as possible, it's going to help you stay on track. It's going to help you fight that battle, right? You're talking about this battle between being focused and mm -hmm. doing other things. It's it's going to help keep you on that on track to win that battle. Do you know what it is about not just a goal, but a visualized, really detailed goal that helps us with that? Is there something in our human psychology? Yeah. Any anytime we can visualize things and make them more concrete, it becomes much more real for us, much more personal, much more meaningful, right? And we we can remember it much better when when we have a visualization to go with it. So that can help us fight off the distraction to an extent. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now, I use Rocket Money, and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, 
monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month's, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com smart. That's rocketmoney.com smart. One last time, rocketmoney.com smart. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with like James Clear and his book and a lot of this stuff, especially recently, I'd say in the past 10 years has gotten a a heavy amount of focus. We interviewed James, we interviewed uh, Nir Ayal, who talks about these types of things. Uh, But you've been studying this for decades. Do you think that the majority of people are only now or recently coming around to the attention issue? And and if so, what is causing that? So, uh, yes, I, I have been looking at this for almost two decades, but people have expressed uh, this as a problem for almost two decades since I started studying this. I, I do not believe it's a new, uh, it's certainly not a new problem. It's not a new concern of people. In the very first paper that I published on this topic, which was 2004, the title of the paper came from a quote of one of our participants, and it was called Constant, Constant Multitasking Craziness. This person was just frustrated and expressing his experience. So I I think now uh, what's happening is that these problems are becoming, um, you know, much more in the public consciousness, right? The, the problems started with the rise of the digital age. And what even led me to begin studying this back, back in 2000 already, I was starting to experience this myself. My own experience with using technology led me to question to what extent is this a widespread phenomenon? I was having trouble myself trying to focus. Uh, at the same time, I was also finding myself just glued to my computer. Yeah. And I, I was just tethered to it, but I couldn't keep my attention on any particular screen. I kept switching screens and projects. And, uh, you know, the problem has been around for, for quite a long time. Is it true that technology has had not just an impact, but a massive impact on our entire experience around attention, focus, productivity, our neurotransmitters. Like, is what gets touted in the media actually true uh, behind the scenes? Yeah, it has absolutely had a massive impact. Now, let me say in all fairness, right, to, to be objective about this, there are individual differences, like we talked about early. 
some people can self-regulate, right? These are very lucky people. They're, <laughs> they're, they're born with, uh, they're dealt a good set of cards in terms of their personality, and it's a lot easier for them to self-regulate, right? These are lucky people because they don't have to work as hard. Um, the rest, the rest of us who weren't born so lucky, um, do have a lot of difficulty self-regulating. Uh, it doesn't mean you're you're stuck with uh, you know living a life of distractions. You can do something about it. It just means you have to work a little bit harder. What is the mechanism by which technology has shortened? our attention span and habituated us to interruptions. So that's, um, that there's a, that there's a lot of reasons behind that. Um, and you know, in my book, I, I cover six different reasons. Uh, one of them, we talked about personality, that there are individual differences that interact with the technology, right? We talked about if you're a conscientious person, you're going to be, checking your email a lot more often. So that's an example of technology and uh, and human interaction. Uh, another reason is it's just our social natures. We, we are social beings. We are susceptible to social dynamics. We are, um, we trade in what's called social capital, which means we do favors for each other. We, we try to get resources, we give resources to other people. I will check your email because I'm expecting you're going to check mine. Uh, and this happens a lot. Social media, we, you know, use social media to get resources. We contribute resources. Um, our identity is tied up with technology. So a lot of people invest a an inordinate amount of time developing their identity, maintaining it. Um, I talk about this as one of the attention traps that we experience um, uh, when we when we use the internet. Uh, power is wrapped up in our internet use, so we respond to people who we believe to be in a higher position of power. Think of uh, if you have a supervisor, you're going to respond to them and be on the lookout for their uh, for their information. Um, let let me talk. Let me talk about another reason as well, and that's the very design of the internet itself. And they began with uh, Vannevar Bush, who was uh, a scientist. He, he actually started the National Science Foundation in the U.S. And he had come up with an idea uh, in the 1940s. It was called the Memex. And it was the idea that we should develop a device where information could be structured in terms of associations with each other. And this led to the design of the internet with its node and link structure where concepts are associated together. You know, you click on a link on Wikipedia brings you to some associated web page. And this whole whole idea of the node and link structure of the internet maps on very well to the theory of human semantic memory, which is the idea that we associate concepts in our minds 
according to how they're associated with each other. When I say the word grass, you might think of the word green or bush, right? So we make associations. Now, you're on a Wikipedia page and you're reading the page and it's bringing up all kinds of associations in your mind. And then all of a sudden you see a link, you're primed to see that link, to respond to that association. You're curious, right? We're, we're humans, we're curious. You click on that link. And before you know it, we're, we're joyriding through the internet because it maps on so well to how humans think. So those are those are just two reasons. Um, there, you know, we can talk about uh, the effect of targeted algorithms in in grabbing our attention, and we can even talk about the broader media environment of of film and TV as well. And as we think about technology, one of the things I consider is I've got two young boys, and we'll often talk about oh, how long can they watch screens and, and all of this? And I'd love any insight you have on that. But one thing I wonder about is, is it actually bad for them if this is the world they're going to live in? Given that technology is here to stay and it's probably only getting worse and faster and more targeted to you and it's going to steal your attention more, if we just hold off on letting kids use it until later... Is that actually of any benefit or are they just going to be sucked in the same trap? So let's try our best to teach them how to use it in the first place. So I, I believe that we should try to constrain kids' use of technology as much as we can until they get older. And here's why. So we have a part of our brain that's called executive function. And this is a part of the brain that helps deal with decision-making, prioritizing information, self-regulation. It's, it's, it's called the, the CEO of the mind, right? It's a very important part of the brain. And in young kids, it's, it's still maturing. It's not well developed yet. And when kids are exposed to... Um, to the internet, and for that matter, even fast-paced television and videos, it seems to have an impact on their executive function. So there's a, there's a study, really interesting study, where they had young kids exposed to fast-paced videos. So they watched these fast-paced videos where the scene shots changed very, very rapidly. There was another set of kids who did a different task, who, who did drawing, okay? And then after both of these conditions, uh, the young children were, uh, were given a, a task, like a, a test that they had to perform. And the kids who were exposed to the fast-paced videos performed worse on these tests, right? So this does demonstrate causality, it shows that it had an effect on their ability to pay attention. The kids who were in the drawing condition uh, performed much better. Now, this is, uh, this is testing them right afterwards, right? We're not completely sure of what long-term effects are. But, you know, I, I argue that if kids are continually exposed to the internet, to 
you know, fast paced videos, it's, it's going to have an impact on, on their, um, their learning ability to be able to focus and pay attention. And does it all come down to habituation? Is it just what we get used to? And, and if so, what is the science behind it? What's going on in our bodies that's forcing us to, we, if we watch an hour or a year's worth of TikToks, then we are naturally going to change to have less ability to focus. What, what is that? Yeah, it, habituation does have a lot to do with it. Um, we, we get used to getting rewards. And TikTok is a really good example. Uh, the videos, most of the videos are, are short, like about 15 seconds. And um, what's interesting about a TikTok is it mimics the, uh, the development of a film in the sense that you have an introduction, you have plot development, and then you have this climax. Um, films generally have a, a plot resolution, TikTok videos don't. But you have this stages of a film condensed into 15 seconds. So it holds people's attention. And um, ever so often you find a TikTok video that's hilarious, right? And it rewards you. And that's called intermittent reinforcement. Like right? slot so, machines. Like slot machines. <laughs> you you know, you, you might be losing a lot, but you know, at some point you've got to win. And with TikTok at some point, you're going to find uh, some video that's that's going to be hysterical, and so it's enough to keep people uh, going, right? They're they're conditioned, and they learn that uh, they'll be rewarded if if they stick to it. And of course, uh, when we do these kinds of easy road activities, people are happiest, right? And people are drawn to doing what makes them happiest. And happiest simply uh, determined by, I mean, created by chemicals, neurotransmitters. Is that fair? Is that yes. what we're talking about, essentially? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it really is. The the analogy many of us have heard that our phone or social media or computer is essentially a on-demand drug hit is relatively apt. Is that that's fair, too? Yes. I, I, I suppose you could say that. that. This is a very common explanation. A lot of people talk about dopamine hits. Um, but you know, to, to some extent, yes, that's, that's, what's going on. Well, to your point, a lot of people hear it. I just, I am very hesitant when something becomes super mainstream and clipped down. Like we like social media because it impacts our neurotransmitters. Therefore it's a drug hit to me. I always go, ah, there's a little nuance there. And that's why I wanted to ask you. And I'm sure there is, but ultimately you're saying there's a lot of truth to that, there's, which, is, there, which is scary. There's, there's some truth to that. Okay. I, I do think it needs to be explored a lot more. But let me also counterbalance that with the idea that when people do have periods of focused work, uh, they can accomplish something, they can be deeply rewarded, right? And when you're deeply rewarded, that's, that's another uh, experience that people seek out and long for. When you play, you know, you're watching TikTok, videos, um, sure, it, it makes you happy in the very short term, but it's not a, it's not a deep reward that you're experiencing. Yeah. I think at least my experience, I can often feel while watching it, this kind of unease below the surface, like, yeah, this is, 
enjoyable, but also shallow to an extent. And it's like, I want to get off, but I don't. And what you're making me think of, I remember in your book, you mentioned the idea of flow and another type of attention. And I would love to hear how you discern, I believe it was kinetic attention, how you discern the two and your recommendation for utilizing kinetic attention. Yeah. So kinetic attention is is a term that I use to describe this kind of rapidly switching attention that we find uh, pretty commonplace on the screen. When, when we have logged computer activity, so this is an empirical and objective way to measure people's length of time that they're on any particular screen, we find the average to be 47 seconds. And we've, we've measured this over the years. Other people's uh, studies have confirmed this as well. And so, um, you know, 47 seconds is, is pretty short. Yeah. yeah. Flow to me is one of the most joyous states of life. I'll never forget when I read the book and I was like, oh my gosh, that like, that's why I like sports. It's this zone to your point. It's the counterbalance to the easy bake oven world, but getting into those States often takes a prolonged period of time and focused attention. And that is where the struggle lies, right? Tell us about what the research shows about how long it takes to to task switch and how we can get better at getting into these more focused states. Yeah. So so focused attention is is a precursor to flow, right? You you need to begin by being focused on something. But I I actually want to back up a bit and I want to talk about a misconception that people have about flow. Uh, so first of all, flow does involve some kind of challenge of, of your skill, right? You you have to use your skill in some way. Um, I, I used to be an artist and I used to get into flow quite, quite often. Um, it, I, I was challenged at just the right level. If you're playing sports, you're challenged. If something is too hard, let's say you're just learning, uh, you're just learning how to ski. You're not going to be in flow because you're doing something that you haven't mastered the skill yet for. But if you've got the the skill for it and you've reached that optimal level, then you can get into a flow state. Watching Netflix is is not a flow state, right? Uh, playing playing TikTok or surfing the internet is not being in a flow state. Uh, because there's there's no challenge or or skill involved in it, and there's a, a misconception that for knowledge workers, you know, this is the kind of work that we've been studying quite a bit. You you can be a financial analyst, you can be a lawyer, you could be uh, working in the tech industry. Um, the nature of the work is not conducive to flow. Uh, if you're a complex coder, you know, you're writing very complex code. Yes, you could probably get into flow. If you're playing a video game, you know, an action video game, yes, you can probably get into flow. But for most of the day-to-day work that people do, it involves focus, but not necessarily flow. And I would say if you want to get into flow, then 
pick up sports or pick up a hobby that where you can gain a skill and be passionate about it. Right. Uh, there are a lot of ways to get into flow, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of hard uh, to do it on our devices unless say you compose music or, right. or do art. Yeah. Funny enough, when I think of flow in front of any screen, the, the few times aside from gaming, which I think I've experienced it, which is odd is um, like really complex spreadsheet work, but still not the same, which leads me to believe, right. When we're talking about this difference and the specific nature of focus to me, the answer to this question might seem obvious, but I want to ask you in case it's not, what is the negative consequence of not being great at focus? Why do we care as much? Why, why should we be focused? Yeah. Well, I suppose um, it's possible if you're in a job where you don't need to be focused, if you're not doing knowledge work, uh, I imagine there's probably not you know, too much of a disadvantage. Uh, you may not accomplish very much, but if you're not concerned about accomplishing, you know, some, something, then maybe, maybe it's okay. Right. Right. So it, it really depends on, you know, what, what we expect of ourselves, what our personal goals are as long, I would say, as long as you are reaching the goals you've set for yourself, then, uh, you know, being in a world of distractions, you know, if that's what you prefer, uh, I, I wouldn't object to it. Yeah. So it really comes back to that goal orientation. And that's what I find interesting about a lot of the research and a lot of your work is, and again, why it's called attention span. I mean, I think it's really just being aware of where our attention is and then asking, is that where we want it? And I think what you argue, or at least research is, it's hard to do that because of the uh, sophistication of external interruptions and also because of our internal interruptions as well. Yeah, and and because so many other factors, you know, we talked about there us being social beings and um, you know, the design of the internet, personality, our emotions, all of that is is wrapped up into this. Um and yes, it's it's very hard. In the subtitle, a groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness and productivity. What is some of the uh surprising research or recommendations that you think people can harness to finally push back on the distractions that were sho- that are shoved in our face. Yeah, so I I am a believer that individuals can develop agency. They can de- develop their own agency to control their attention, to be masters of their own attention. And um I, I draw on the work of a great social psychologist, Albert Bandura, who uh, talked about the human ability to achieve agency, for example, in stopping smoking, right? He, he was very good at that. So I believe humans can achieve agency. There's um, different ways we can do it. So first of all, we, we have to become more intentional in our actions, which means a lot of the things we do that are unconscious, the habits we do, like checking our phones, checking email, going to social media, 
we have to bring those actions to a conscious level to become aware of these actions and the reasons why we're doing them. And uh, I talk about this idea of meta-awareness, which means being aware of what you're doing as it's unfolding. It means having a conscious awareness of what you're doing. And we can practice meta-awareness by asking ourselves questions, questioning what we're doing. And, you know, I, I'm a researcher. I, when I observe people, I do that for a living. I'm always asking questions like, what is this person doing? Why are they doing it? Right? Are they getting a reward for doing it? I'm, I'm always asking questions. When I started uh, thinking about this idea of meta awareness, I began to ask myself the same kinds of questions. And every time I had an urge to check the news or an urge to go to social media, I would ask myself deliberately and intentionally do I really need to check that now? Or what value am I getting? Um, and if it turned out that I felt that my mental resources, my mental capacity was low, then I would say, okay, I give myself permission to go and do something easy, something rote, so that I can, you know, refresh myself. Once I'm on a site, let's say I'm, re I'm reading a news article, then I ask myself, does this still have value for me? So let's say I read the first couple of paragraphs. Uh, have I learned the gist of this? And if I have, I can go back to work. Or I ask myself, do I feel replenished now? You know, do I feel refreshed? And if so, I can, I can go back. But it's about always asking yourself to keep yourself on track. So meta-awareness is, is one idea. An another idea to... Uh, achieve agency is to practice what's called forethought. And forethought means thinking ahead, thinking how your current actions can impact what, what you're doing later on downstream. And this could be in a few hours, could be at the end of the day, could be at the end of the week. So let's say I'm working on that book chapter and my goal and I've envisioned that goal that I want to hit save on that book chapter and put it into the folder of completed chapters. But, you know, it's 11 o'clock and I want to read the news. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I start thinking ahead and I say, okay, I know I can spend an hour on the news. Or if I go to social media, I can easily spend a lot of time. What's going to what's my end of day going to look like? What's it going to look like at 6 p.m.? Am I going to finish that chapter? Or am I going to be still up working on it? At 10 p.m., am I going to be relaxing, reading a book? Or rather, am I going to still be working on that chapter? That's the idea of practicing forethought. And there, there's other ideas as well. Uh, we can design our day in a very smart way can design our days so that we don't exhaust our limited and precious mental resources um, and make sure to design empty space into our day. And what that means is you design time where you know you, you can take a respite, you can re refresh, replenish before going back to hard work. And you don't want to schedule 
one hard task after each other or tasks that make us that bring about negative emotions. You don't want to schedule one task like that after another. You want to insert uh, some empty space after you know you're going to do a, a, a task that might not make you happy. So it, it brings us all the way back to the beginning when you were talking about mental resources. How much of all of this comes down to the simple idea, or, or at least the simple phrase, probably a complicated idea of, the better we manage our mental resources, the better our ability to handle distraction. That it's that's very true, and that's that's a very good way to put it, because when we have a full tank of mental resources, we are much better at self-regulating and much better at uh, guarding against distractions. When when our mental resources are low. You can think of that as the time when we're very susceptible to being distracted, right? We we don't have that defense up against distractions, and um, it, it's very easy for us to uh, to do something that's easy. We we did a study. I'll give you an example. We did a study where we look we measured people's sleep uh, the the night before. And we looked at this concept called sleep debt. And you can think of it the same way as being having debt with, with your finances. If you don't sleep, as if you don't get as much sleep as you need each night and you're consistently getting less and less sleep and your sleep debt is building up, we find that there's a correlation with the time that people spend on easy activities the next day like Facebook. Why? Facebook is it's easy activity, doesn't involve mental resources. People get distracted and go to Facebook. They, they don't have that defense because their mental resources are getting depleted through sleep debt. When you talked about uh, meta-awareness and thinking through what I'm doing, do I want to be doing this? What's its impact? It made me realize recently with this work from home versus work in an office, I've been fascinated by the idea of people are on opposite ends of the spectrum. There are people who say, I do such better work at home and I do such better work in the office. And I know I do better work at home, but I, I've struggled to figure out why. And one of the reasons is when I'm home, if I feel that I'm losing my mental resources, I'll instinctively, I'll get up. I'll typically walk over to a window Maybe I'll go out in my backyard, you know, and look at whatever, just something that's like spatial and relaxing. I work in the 32nd floor of an office building with people and desks and it's, you know, glass and it's just not that. And so I, I never feel like I get to escape for a minute. Even if I go outside, it's in a city. I, I just find it interesting that our environment can probably also have a massive impact on our mental resources and our ability to um, leverage our attention or be distracted. That's that's absolutely right. And there are studies that show that taking even a 20-minute walk in nature can significantly lower stress. Um, I've done a study with colleagues where we found that people's ability to do what's called divergent thinking increases after 20 minutes you know, outside in a walk in nature. 
Uh, divergent thinking is brainstorming, coming up with more and different kinds of ideas. And so, you know, being outside is the best break of all that we can take. It's, it's very good for us. It allows us to become more aware of our own what's called proprioception, which is awareness of our body's movement through space. We lose that when we're sitting in front of a screen looking at two-dimensional stimuli. So it's really important to, to move around, especially to get outside if, if you can, if you can. Any idea or any research on the difference between looking at something or experiencing something that's two-dimensional versus three-dimensional and how it impacts us and our physiology? Yeah. So there, there is work on that. I, I am not an expert on this, so I, sure. I really can't, can't speak to that. Um, there, uh, there actually is uh, work where people look at two-dimensional versus so it's still on a screen, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately it's two dimensions, but it's whether the stimuli on the screen are three-dimensional objects or just flat two dimensions. But um, I, I am not an expert in, in that research. You know, it uh, sparked my curiosity. So another another rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> What's your favorite tool that you utilize to keep your attention span? I, I would say it is the meta awareness, okay. and and I practice it, and and I have to say it's it's a skill that you can develop. It's a skill that anyone can develop. Uh, during during the pandemic, my university offered a course in what's called mindfulness based stress reduction, because you know every, everybody was stressed, at, you know, when the pandemic lockdown happened. And, um, and I found that it really helped me. And that's what led me to think, wait a minute, I, I can apply this kind of practice to my everyday use of devices. And, um, I, and the more I practice it, the more it becomes second nature. You know, I keep asking myself, and again, it's, it's bringing these unconscious habits to our conscious awareness and then we can act on them and we can make intelligent decisions. And, you know, it it certainly has helped me a lot. And especially, I would say the where it's helped me the most in two ways. Number one, to make me aware of when I really am getting exhausted and should take a break. Because I used to just power through and get, I would just get myself exhausted and you know, was reaching a burnout state. So it's it's helped me be proactive in stepping back and taking breaks. And the other way it's helped is that when I do go to some site like social media or, um, you know, say a news site I or even a shopping site, I ask myself, am I still getting value? Is this giving me value? And if I'm honest with myself, I will say no. I mean, if it, if it is giving me value, then I give my per, myself permission to continue. But if not, okay, it's time to stop and get back to my other tasks. And most of the time, the answer probably is no. So that makes sense. Uh, last question for you. Given you've been studying this for so long, what is the biggest shift in your belief system or understanding around attention that you've experienced from when you first started 
to now? Oh, that's a such a great question. Um, I, I've had a, a lot of uh, shifts. Maybe maybe one of the biggest ones was the idea that we're we're just as likely to self interrupt as we are to be interrupted by something externally because. At the point when I started studying this, there was a lot of talk about, oh, these external interruptions. We have to get rid of them. They're so bad for us. And then I realized, oh, no, it's not just the external interruptions. There's, you know, it's so much deeper than that, right? There's so much more going on. It's, we're, these external interruptions uh, serve to condition us right? To self-interrupt. We are conditioned to have short attention spans, right? That's, it's the nature of our lives in the, in the digital age. So I, I would say that was probably the, the most surprising for me. It's such a good one to call out. And, and I have to tell you, you just reminded me of something that was very stark and obvious about three years ago, but I've forgotten. So from about 2015 to 2020, I did consulting where my only job, the only thing I got paid for was being in front of people teaching workshops. That was it. I would travel, I would teach a workshop, I'd fly home. That was it. In that five-year period, the amount of times I checked email was so minuscule. I, I never checked email because I didn't need to. The jobs wouldn't come in through email. It was just different. And so I remember I just didn't check it. I didn't really care. I figured if, you know, maybe whatever. Now having a standard corporate job, I check it first thing in the morning, last thing at night, weekends, all these things. And what it reminds me of, I remember feeling this, when I first started this job thinking, everybody is crazy. What is everybody doing? Why are they always sending messages and emails and meetings? Like, slow down, relax. It's going to be fine. And I just thought I'll never, that'll never happen to me. And here we are three years later and, and it's me. So I say that because number one, that is almost entirely internally driven. Yes, the environment can impact that, but you get to make a decision. And two, what it shows is you can change. This is not, I, I, I think it goes against, you know, you can't say to me, oh, it's just who I am. I bet you put people in different circumstances and, and they can do things differently. Oh, I absolutely believe that people can change. I am an optimist in, in that sense. I, I think, um, you know, there, there's a lot of these doomsday predictions. Oh my gosh, we're heading on this terrible path. Exactly. I am ultimately an optimist. People can change. I actually think technology in, in a lot of ways can even provide us with solutions as well to help our attention, which is very ironic. <laughs> but but I, I, I think that uh, that can play a role. So um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and people can change in either direction. If if you're focused today, then tomorrow you may pick up a habit of being unfocused. So um, there's there's a lot of factors that that go into it. The nature of our jobs, our interactions with other people, we're all intertwined in this interconnected world 
of the internet and it it affects us. Well, and that's why I think your work is so important. And that's that's why we wanted to have you on. So for those listening, again, the book is Attention Span, A Groundbreaking Way to Restore Balance, Happiness, and Productivity. I love the tagline, find focus, fight distraction. Um, we'll, of course, link to that, Gloria. Anywhere else that you're at that you want to uh, tell our listeners about? Yeah, I, w- I would encourage people to go to my website, which is www.gloriamark.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter. And if you're interested in the topics we spoke about today, uh, you can learn a lot more in, in the newsletters because each time... I'll be talking about a different topic uh, and not just what we talked about today, but a range of topics related to our lives in the digital age. Well, I think it's a prerequisite for everyone now that we have to understand this. So I love it. Gloria, thank you so much for being on. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This week's guest was Gloria Mark, who is hosted as always by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Gloria's book, Attention Span, A Groundbreaking Way to Restore Balance, Happiness, and Productivity, can be found wherever books are sold. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. That's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.